as Gino said, my name is Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I love the opportunity to get up here in front of everybody and share. And it's always a, a really exciting time. It's kind of a stressful time in our house, but I always enjoy doing it. So I'm glad to be up here. And we're in the middle of a generosity sermon series, a two-part series here that we're working through. Gino opened it up last week with his sermon titled Generosity and Tithing. And these sermons, Generosity and Tithing, anytime we're talking about money, these are always good sermons for me to hear. Always. Uh, So let me just kind of give you a little bit of background. I've been a faithful tither for about 10 to 12 years, about as long as I've been making money. Um, But I haven't always been a faithful tither. See, uh, back in the day, I wanted to make sure that every dollar that I put into the offering plate as it went around went directly to, for example, the goat that was bought for the missionaries that would feed the village or give milk to the village. I didn't like the idea that my money was going to pay for the lighting or, heaven forbid, the pastor's salary, right? I wanted my money to be like the direct implication of saving someone's life and providing food and those type of things. So I really struggled with giving and tithing. Now let's fast forward a few years here. We're on a church plant now, and now I'm part of this team that makes the decisions about where money goes in this church. I'm part of the team that decides, okay, how much are we going to spend on the scotch tape that we're going to pass out to the people so that we can tell them about the South Suburban Vineyard? I'm part of the team that pays the bills for the invite cards for things like the Super Bowl. I'm part of the team that decides how are we going to pay for the rent in this facility. And so I'm starting to become very attached to where money goes in this particular church. And I just want to highlight that for those of you who weren't here last week, for that generosity and tithing sermon that Gino gave last week, it is really important if you call this your church home or home for now, that you go to iTunes or go to our website and listen to that sermon because we detail where your money goes. When you give money to this church, it's important for you to know what we're doing with your money. And I found, because I'm attached to this church, I found that I don't have as much of a difficult time giving to this church because I believe in what we're doing. I believe in the the things that we choose to do, that we choose to spend our money on. I believe in this stuff. So it's easier for me to give when I believe in the cause, right? We have some friends who are missionaries in Lima, Peru, and we give money to them each month. And I really have zero problem giving them that money because I care about my friends. I believe in what they're doing. I'm attached to their cause. We volunteer at Restoration Ministries. We volunteer with Children's Hunger Fund. I believe in what they're doing. I've researched what they're doing. I know where my money is going, for the most part. And so I give to those places. And I, and I think it's important to really become attached to where your money is going. Like, you should know the ins and outs, generally speaking, of where your money goes. And I think it's really important to become personally attached in some way, shape, or form. I want to tell you a story uh, I found this story on the Homewood Flossmore Patch. Patch.com is an online news uh, media source. Does anybody follow Patch? Yeah, a few of you follow Patch. Okay, so, you, so because we don't necessarily get local news here in this area, you can go to Patch.com and type in Homewood Flossmore, and you can get our town's information. And so I just want to read this story to you. Uh, the community shows big heart in helping local child's medical condition. And this is uh, from December 29th. Sarah and Mark Donnelly of Homewood were thrilled to adopt twins, Eddie and Abigail, last year. What wasn't so thrilling, though, is that Eddie was diagnosed with a medical condition, a disease that can result in the development of a twisted neck and misshaped head. 
The doctors speculated that a series of two consecutive headgear pieces would suffice in correcting the majority of Eddie's symptoms, but they come with a hefty price, $2,500 each to be exact, and the medical facility doesn't accept Medicaid. That's when Sarah's employer and Art for Soul owner, Dodie Wyan, stepped in. Sarah didn't want to ask for help, Wyan said, so I said, let me just try. Wyans proceeded to send an email on Eddie and Abigail's first birthday, September 21st, describing the plight of Eddie and his family to the entire Art for Soul mailing list. Nobody expected the reaction they got. That very same day, someone came into Art for Soul and anonymously donated $2,500 in cash, enough to fully cover one of the two required helmets. And that's just one donation. Many other community members have generously donated money and written notes the required $5,000 took little time to gather. And then the mom says, I was like, you have to be kidding me. I felt like George Bailey at the last five minutes of It's a Wonderful Life. You hear stories in movies, but you're like, that would never happen. I can't believe that people in this economy could do such a grand thing. It's incredible. The generosity, support, and well wishes from complete strangers. I'm eternally grateful. And that's happening right here in our community. I love to hear stories about that. Generous people giving, I mean, the anonymous donor with no idea, you know, no recognition, nothing like that. And I love those stories. And last week when Gino outlined generosity and tithing, he spoke specifically on that tithe money that comes in and talking about obedience with our tithe. But today I want to talk about reluctant giving, those of us who are reluctant givers. And I think this is important because we're not always completely attached to the cause. We're not always hit in the heart like with the story of the Homewood Flossmoor community. Sometimes it's hard to give of our time, our talent, and our money. And so I want to speak to those people today. And I'm coming from a place of understanding in this because I am a recovering, reluctant giver. Okay? I am still, I am consistently working against my own nature to be selfish, to reserve my money, my time, my resources. In fact, uh, I just, you know, when you get ready to preach, you always get great illustrations. And so this week I was cleaning out the closets. And I realized, uh, so I went to Gino's closet first because I took it upon myself to clean out his closet. And uh, let's say Gino had 20 shirts in his closet. And I looked at those 20 shirts and I thought, I can probably find about 17 of those shirts that I can donate to Restoration Ministry. So I pull out all the shirts and I throw them on the ground and, you know, that's my donate pile. So then I walk over to my closet, and I see, let's say I had about 20 shirts too, and I found two (laughs) that I took out of my closet, and then I stood there for a minute, and I thought, well, this is kind of a maybe. Like, what if one day I just need this very purple shirt, and I have to wear it with these pants, and so then I put them in a maybe pile. So I've got 17 of Gino's shirts, he's got three shirts left to wear now, and two of my shirts that I'm ready to donate, because of course... I can be generous with Gino's stuff, right? I can give away that stuff. But with my stuff, it's, it's, I'm attached to it. I don't want to give it away. And it's probably, I mean, it's stuff that I don't wear, really. And so then an hour later, I come back, and I see the maybe pile, and I see Gino's pile. And I thought, okay, I, I'm getting ready to preach on generosity this week. Move the clothes over to the donate pile. Well, I mean, I went back and forth with the maybe and donate. But eventually, uh, I put it all in the donate pile, And like I said, I'm a recovering, reluctant giver. I'm working on it every day. I have to work against my nature to be selfish and to reserve for me what I think is mine. 
right, to get rid of that. And so today I want to speak to you, if you are a reluctant giver, I want to just kind of go through some things that have helped me, some things that speak to me about why I just kind of need to move from this reluctant giver to generous giver. And I just want to kind of speak through a few things that have really transformed me and are transforming me. So before we get started, let me pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you just fall in this place right now. Jesus, above all else, I want people to walk away loving you more. I want people to encounter the real and living Jesus Christ. I want you to open our hearts, Lord. I want you to open and break my heart, Lord. That you would transform me from a reluctant giver to a generous giver. Not just of my money, but of my money, my time, my resources. In all areas of my life, let it all be for you, Jesus. And I just pray that the words that I speak, that would, they would just directly speak to someone here in this room. That you would break us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So before we get started, I think it's important for me to say up front that I recognize that this is a tough time to be a generous giver. The Barna Group, which is a group that does research specifically for Christian organizations and churches. They always do polls and, and different things like that. They actually did a study, and there's a chart uh, that... Oh, the chart. Okay, so we had a chart where it talks about uh, there were different things that were going on in the churches. And in the last six months, giving has been drastically reduced. Like, people who sit in churches have gone from 28% that don't give anymore, to now it's like up to 39% of people are no longer giving to the church. So they've just decided that the economy has hit them in their pocketbooks, so they've stopped giving to the church. And so let's all, you know, we can put that out on the table. It is a tough time to give. It's a tough time to give of our resources. It's a tough time to give of our time. All of those areas are very clear. The economy is in an economic downturn. We get that. But I think that the important thing to remember is that this is an act of obedience to Jesus Christ. This is what God has called us to do. And so regardless of what's going on in the world, God has called us to be obedient in our generosity. And it's especially tough for those of us who are not wired to be generous to remember that when push comes to shove. So in order to move from a place of reluctant giving to generous giving, I think it's important at the outset of this talk to ask yourself one simple question. Am I a reluctant giver or am I a generous giver? And here's the key. I'm not always the best person to ask myself that question, right? I think it's important that if you are struggling with this, if you are really interested in finding out, you should ask someone if you are a generous giver or a reluctant giver. Ask someone that you love. Ask someone that at the end of the day you know that they still love you. Someone that will tell you the honest truth, though. And then I think once you find out that, you know, that answer, then we have to own it. If you are reluctant in your giving, whether it be your time, your talent, your resources, if you are reluctant, then you need to own it. And now we need to move forward from that. Okay? I'm a reluctant giver. I'm recovering from that. I need to own that. And then I'm going to start walking out some of the biblical elements that changed my life and are changing my life to transform me into a generous giver. But can we all agree that giving is where we want to be? Generously giving is where we want to be. Right on? Right. And so if we want to act out that obedience, we need to faithfully give 
of our time, talent, and resources. And to be faithful is to be constant in the performance of duty. So when we are giving, when we are generous, we need to be faithful in the performance of generosity. So I want to start today by just saying, number one, that our generosity is tied to our eternal salvation. If you would turn with me to Matthew 25, we're going to take a moment to look at how generosity is tied to our eternal salvation. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles located on the edges of the rows. Feel free to take those home. I want to generously give those to you today. (laughs) All right, we're going to be in Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, the words will also be projected on the screens. Verse 31, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40, and the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So this Matthew 25 passage is a picture of Judgment Day. And it lets us see that what will happen when Jesus returns is that he will separate the sheep, the righteous, from the goats, or the wicked. And he will reward the righteous with eternal life, and the wicked will be sent to everlasting punishment. And in this illustration, a person's destiny is directly tied with the generosity that they live out in their earthly life. And it's clear that we don't know when Jesus is returning. Matthew 24, verse 36 says, No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man himself. So we don't have a lot of time to kind of backlog any generosity or be prepared for the future by kind of waiting until a certain moment when we're going to start being generous. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And so my recommendation is to not wait to start your generous living. We will each be evaluated by the content of our generosity in this earthly life. Did you take care of the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned? And this illustration gives us nearly every opportunity to be generous in this life. And Jesus is very attached to his people, his needy people. 
He's very attached, and he's keeping a, a watch out on those needy people. And he's going to ask us at the end of our earthly life, he's going to say, did you take care of these people? And I think the relevant question that we need to ask ourselves today is, do we see these needy people as the embodiment of Jesus Christ here on earth? When we have needy people in our lives, when we have people who want our time, our talent, and our energy, do we see them as Jesus Christ? Because at the end of this life, when Jesus comes, he's going to separate us out. And I think that can sometimes pull up in me some, some imagery that I'm, I don't really like. I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be sent to eternal punishment, right? And so Jesus is outlined clearly for us in this Matthew 25 passage. He says, this is how you get eternal life. This is how you are separated. And here's your opportunity to live generously now. And not to wait, because we don't know when he's coming back. Do you see these needy people as the embodiment of Jesus Christ himself? So then I think it's important for us to just take a look at our own lives. Who we're connected to? Who needs our time? Who is asking for our money? Because this is the same person that comes up in the, in the parking lot at the grocery store asking for our money. These are the missionaries that are asking for you to support them. These are the people at Restoration Ministries who are needing you to walk them through the food pantry. All of these opportunities will give us the opportunity to be generous in this life. And those opportunities really are endless. Until Jesus returns, there is no shortage of needy people. So if we give faithfully, remember, constant in the performance of duty, if we give faithfully and generously during our life here on earth, there will be tremendous rewards later. Tremendous. So our generosity is tied to that eternal salvation. And I think that's wonderful. Let me tell you, I am all in for eternal life. Right? I'm all about it. But sometimes, I just feel like eternal life is too far away. Like it's hard for me to like put my arms on eternal life. And so I want you to turn with me now to Malachi 3. Because not only is our generosity tied to our eternal salvation, but our generosity is tied to the promises of God for blessing and protection in this very life. So we're going to look at Malachi 3, starting at verse 6. Verse 6, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why your descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 
So Malachi is speaking to the Israelites, and he's speaking out against corrupt forms of worship and living that were taking place. There were corrupt priests. There were unacceptable sacrifices. There was social injustice, and people were robbing from God. And so God, speaking through Malachi, says, hey, stop robbing me. Stop doing it. And he's saying to the people very clearly, if you do, if you bring your tithes and offerings like I've asked you to do, if you bring them to me, then I will pour out a promise of blessing on you, a promise of protection. Verse 10 says, test me and see if I will not bless you. Test me and see if I will not bless you. And this isn't you put $10 in the offering bucket as it goes around and you miraculously have a $100 check in your mailbox when you get home. It may work that way sometimes, but let's be real. God is far wiser, far more creative than we give him credit for. We don't always need $100 in our, you know, our mailbox when we get home. God knows our needs. He's going to give you the promise of blessing that you need. Not the one you think you need, but the one that you need. And then verse 11 says the promise of protection. When we give, we have the promise of protection. Your crops will be abundant Your grapes will not fall from the vines before it's ready. So when life is chaotic, when it feels like the crop of your life is being eaten away by insects, when the the vines are not producing fruit, do you look back at this verse and say, God, are you trying to get my attention? Am I in any way robbing from you, God? Am I living a life that is not generous? Because God is very clear in this Malachi passage If we do what God has called us to do, if we are generous with God, he gives us the promises of blessing and protection, so much so that we won't be able to contain it. And so I just, I I look at this verse and I think, I I can't bless myself the way that God can bless me. God is bigger and wiser and knows exactly what I need. I mean, just ask a seasoned, generous giver. Somebody who's been doing it year after year, day after day. The blessings and protection of God are unmatched. Unmatched. You can't give to yourself what God can give to you. I don't know all of the holes that God has kept me from falling down. I don't know all the ways that God has steadied my path when I was going to go off in some crazy direction. I don't know all of the protection that God has given to me over my life. And to be honest, I don't want to find out. And because I don't want to find out, I'm going to continue to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to continue to give of my time, my talent, my resources. Because when I do those things, God offers the promises of blessing and protection in my life. And God says, test me and see. And there are some people that say, test me and see. And I think... I am not following you anywhere, right? We've been burned by the, like, no new taxes type of people before. Read my lips, right? That doesn't fly. But we've got God here, and his promises are true. Over and over, his promises are true. And so when he says, test me and see, well, I'm going to put my chips all in with God. Test me and see. Not an extra dollar in the Salvation Army bucket equals a Cadillac in your driveway. Right? We're not here for this. Not dollars for dollars. Okay? It'd be nice sometimes if it would. 
But God knows your needs. He knows what type of blessings you need. He knows what type of protection you need in your life. And he's going to give you what you need. So much so that you can't contain it. So blessings and protection. And in the end, these blessings and this protection starts us on on a catalog of awesome ways that God has given us all of the good things in our lives. And we can start a catalog of thankfulness to what God has done. Our generosity is done out of thankfulness because of what God has done and is doing in our lives. Listen, God owes us absolutely nothing. Let me tell you, if this is the first time you've heard this, and listen very closely. God owes us nothing. Everything we have, our health, our families, the money in our bank account, the cars in our driveway, everything is a gift from God. It is pure grace. And we are so thankful that he gives us those things. And so, in turn, we give because God has given to us. We give because of the thankfulness that we have for all of the goodness in our life. And so that's my third point. We give because of thankfulness. Turn to Deuteronomy 26. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is a, a contract between God... And the Israelites. And it's a, it's a book that, if you want to get kind of the full story, these are the same people back from Exodus, right? So in Exodus, we hear the people of the we hear the story of the people in uh, Egypt, and they're slaves to the Pharaoh. And Moses comes and he takes these people and he says, "Let my people go." And you know, it goes back and forth with Pharaoh, but eventually the people are are let go, and so they go out and they're going to the Promised Land and. Lo and behold, these people reject the promised land. And so then what happens? They are stuck in the desert for 40 years, wandering in the desert. And God says, not one of you who was part of this initial generation, you're not going to see the promised land. And so they have to wander for 40 years. And here we have the book of Deuteronomy. And like I said, this is a contract between God and Israelites, the Israelites. And Moses is giving some specific speeches to these people about the covenant that they're about to enter with God. And, and Moses is setting this up and he's saying, this is how you are supposed to live in this land. And it's kind of like, let's get this straight. Because we've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Let's get this straight. Before we go into the promised land, we're going to set this contract up. It's not an equal contract, by all means. God is saying, this is how it's going to be. And so we pick up in Deuteronomy 26, starting at verse 1. When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you as a special possession, and you have conquered it and settled there, put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Go to the priest in charge at the time and say to him, With this gift I acknowledge to the Lord your God that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors he would give us. The priest will then take the basket from your hand and set it before the altar of the Lord your God. You must then say in the presence of the Lord your God, My ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. When the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. He heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and powerful arm. 
with overwhelming terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. And now, O Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. Then place the produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground in worship before him. Afterward, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners living among you in the celebration. And let me just repeat that, verse 11. You may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. So this is a detailed description of how these people are supposed to give their tithes and offerings, specifically recounting God's goodness. And this is coming from the Israelites, and these are people who have a relationship with God. They've been through some stuff with God. Remember, these people have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Now, we've waited for a whole generation to pass, but for the most part, these people have probably, I mean, they they have. They've lived their whole life in this desert. They've had communion with God. They've had to rely on God for some stuff. And they're saying, look, I can look back. I'm going to recount my history right quick here. Verse 6, it says, the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us. They made us their slaves. And then the Lord brought us out of Egypt. They're going back. They're looking back at the catalog of where they've been and where they are now. You have brought me through some stuff, Lord, and now I'm saying thankful. Thank you. I am so thankful for all that you've brought me through that here's my first fruit. Here's everything that belongs to you because you've brought me through some stuff. If it were not for you, Lord, I'd be stuck in Egypt making bricks for some pharaoh, but you've brought me through. If it were not for you, Lord, I'd be so stuck up and selfish that I wouldn't care a lick about anybody else. If it were not for you, Lord, where would you be? I'm sure I could ask any number of you to come up right now and share where you would be if it had not been for the Lord. What Egypt has God brought you out of? What desert were you wandering in for 40 years? And then God brought you out. Maybe you're still in a desert. Maybe you're still stuck in Egypt. Maybe you're working through some stuff. But let me tell you here today, God's promises are true and he's going to bring you out. And so as we go through our life, as we wake up each day, as we go to jobs that we have, as we pay bills with the money that's in our bank account, we can say, thank you, God, because if it were not for you, I would not be where I am today. And I think it's important for us to regularly catalog all of the good things that God has given us. To regularly look back and go step by step. Where was our Egypt? Where were we wandering for 40 years? And where am I now in the land flowing with milk and honey? And again, let me just say, I know that not everybody's in a land flowing with milk and honey. And I think sometimes we stay there for a little while and then we kind of cycle back through when we're back in Egypt. And that's the cycle of life in some ways. But God's promises are true. And if we got up this morning, that's one more thing to be thankful for. Because our generosity is tied to our thankfulness for what God has done in our lives. And when we're moving from a place of reluctant giver to generous giver, I think it's important to remember that generosity is accomplished one action at a time. 
I think Gino said it last week, it just starts simple. One action at a time. We want to be known as a church full of generous people. And that happens one action at a time, one outreach at a time, one event at a time, one prayer at a time. We want to be used by God in this community and the surrounding communities to accomplish big things. If you got a bulletin this morning, you'll see in any week that you come that our mission and our vision is always printed in our bulletin. We want people walking through that door to know where we're headed and what we're trying to do in this community and the surrounding communities. I want to just read for you our mission and our vision. The mission of the South Suburban Vineyard is to be a diverse community of dedicated Jesus followers who actively extend the kingdom of God through ministry and love so that those who don't know Jesus will come to know him and those who know him will know him more. And our vision, our our goal is to build a large, multi-ethnic, multicultural, church-planting church that extends the kingdom of God in the south suburbs of Chicago and the surrounding area. This is what we want to do. And to accomplish these tasks, to accomplish this mission and this vision, it will require lots of prayer and lots of generous giving, lots of hours, lots of time, talent, and resources by people like you. We want ministries bubbling over with people to staff our kids' church and our hospitality team. You heard Denise talk about it this morning. I have visions and dreams for a community center and an after-school program and a daycare center. I have visions and dreams of doing outreaches in this community and feeding hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds and thousands of people. I want to send out church planters and missionaries, and then I want to do lots of missions trips to warm places like Puerto Rico. (laughs) Maybe the Philippines. I think I got some Philippine missionaries in here. And these things don't just happen. Dave Flores, who is a member of this church, we often dream about this coffee shop that we're going to put in here. And I get really excited about this coffee shop that we're going to put in. And I, I see these things, and I see people generously giving their time, their talent, and their resources to make these things happen. And I get excited about that stuff, and I want to give more of my time because I'm attached to the South Suburban Vineyard. I'm attached to what we are doing here. My life is meant to be generously lived, generously giving to the South Suburban Vineyard through what we're doing for the kingdom of God. And so when I get selfish, when I get all kind of wrapped up in what I want to do, I'm reminded of what God has called me to do. I'm reminded that God has said, your generosity is tied to your eternal salvation. I'm reminded that God says that my generosity is tied to the promises of blessing and protection from God. And I just ask you, if you call this your church home or home for now, what role will you play? We've got big mission and big vision here. What role will you play? And what will it require of you? What will your generosity look like to accomplish the thing so that Jesus is made famous in this area? So that people who don't know Jesus come to know him. So that people who know him will know him more. Because that will be done one event at a time. One prayer at a time. One outreach at a time. Generously giving of our time, our talent, and our resources.
And like the anonymous donor and the HF community that, that donated to the Art for Soul employee, I think it matters if you become personally attached in some way to the organization. And so I just want to encourage you to find some place and go somewhere where you can get involved, where you can attach yourself wholeheartedly so that you can generously give of all that God has given to you. And I imagine that um, I might always have a little bit of me in this. I'm recovering reluctant giver. Sometimes I'm not always cheerful to give of my time, or I'm not always cheerful to pull out my wallet and give my money. But God is working on me. God says it in the Bible to be obedient. Be obedient in this area. And so I'm going to keep doing it. God's word is true. He says to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be obedient. And I've seen far too much to back out now. I can be like the people in Israel, the Israelites. I can be like them and I can say, look, I know where I've come from. I know the Egypts that you brought me out of. And I need Jesus. And so I'm going to be obedient when it comes to generosity. Not just of my money, not just in my tithe, but generosity of my time and my talent. Because that's what God has called me to do. The band can go ahead and start coming up. And as I close tonight, I just want to kind of go back to that Deuteronomy 26 passage. You know, at the end of that passage, it says, Afterward... You may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you in your household. So after we've given our tithes, after we've given the first fruits in this passage, they go and they celebrate. And so as we enter into this time of worship, I just want to remind you that this is a time of celebration. That we can say, thank you, Lord, for all of the things that you've done for me, all of the ways that you've pulled me out of difficult situations, all of the ways that you've transformed me and are transforming me. And now I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to go and celebrate because of all the good things that the Lord has given to me and my household. And so as we enter this time of worship, I just pray that you would just have open hearts to just celebrate the, the goodness in your life. All of the ways that God has been good to you and your household. Because I think that it's important that we start transforming, if we are reluctant givers, start transforming ourselves so that generosity is part of our character, day in and day out. Let me pray. Father God, I just pray that you would just fall again in this place, that your Holy Spirit would be so powerful as we worship you, Lord. God, you are... You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as we enter into this time of worship, Lord, I just pray that you would just help us to celebrate the goodness in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, remind us that, that when we are worshiping you, it is an audience of one. All for you. And let us let us just open our hearts that if you are working on us and transforming us from reluctant givers to generous givers, Lord, that you would just begin working on us right now in this very place.
And let us, let us join with all the angels in heaven as we celebrate during this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.